Well, God is good. God is so good. I remember uh, when I was little, which some of you are like, well, that wasn't very long ago. And then some of you are like, man, that was forever ago. So um, it's good to be in an environment where that takes place, where I'm not the oldest, but I'm not the youngest. You know, that feels good. Uh, We went on vacation to the Royal Gorge. Has anybody ever heard of the Royal Gorge? Man, I just think that that is the most demonic place for some reason. But you'll understand why as I tell this story. Uh, I have a healthy respect for gravity, which means that I do not really like heights that are outside of my control. I say that I have a healthy respect for gravity, but I I really think I'm just a control freak, uh, and I like to control all of my surroundings. But we went to the Royal Gorge, and we have to cross this huge bridge, and this is supposed to be recreational and relaxing. And the whole ride to this bridge, I am in panic mode. Can anybody relate to this? I'm like, we're going to die. And so I started drawing pictures of the Royal Gorge. Now, if you were like a psychologist in the room, you would take my pictures and you'd be like, you were a troubled, troubled child. Because I drew the bridge just fine, but underneath the bridge, I put like hell you know, fire. Uh, there was maybe like four or five sharks swimming around. Now, I'm not a very good drawer. I'm not like Pastor Michael Grove, like this genius artistic person. So I knew what I was drawing, but nobody else did. It would be like artistic tongues needs an artistic interpretation. That's me. I'm just drawing. I'm like, oh man, this is a good shark. And my sister's like, what is that? That looks like an ink blot. And so I'm drawing these pictures, and, and we finally get there, and I'm like, I'm not getting out of the car. And my parents are like, you're going to get out of the car. I'm not getting on that bridge. I'm not going to do that. They're like, no, you're going to get on the bridge. I'm like, I'm not getting on the bridge. And then it was, one. <laughs> yeah, have you ever been there? No, I'm not getting on the bridge. Two. Oh, gosh, you got to two. We're serious now. I am not getting on that bridge in the name of three. Okay, I'm on the bridge. And we got on the bridge, and my, my, the rest of the people with us, because we're with another family, and they're just running all over the place like they're Neanderthals. They're just going crazy on this thing. And I am, I am on my hands and knees, and I am crawling on this bridge. Like, if this thing goes down, for some reason, I think being lower to the ground helps me. In that moment. And so I'm just crawling across this thing. And I am in, I am just so afraid that I, I'm on all, all fours and I'm just stuck. Has anybody ever been like this before? Like if you're walking in a dark room and you hear something that doesn't usually be there, you just stop. Like, what was that? There was my stomach. Okay, we'll keep going. And I remember being in this moment and I'm like, golly, I hate this bridge. This is, this, I I mean, I was like probably 18 or 19 years old at the time. No, I was like seven or eight. Because if I was 18 or 19, I wouldn't have been on the bridge. And uh, I'm just like, Jesus, please come into my heart. Be my Lord, be my Savior. Amen. I just wanted to be certain. And I'm crawling this thing. And I, and I, as I got away from that event, I realized what was really at play there was something that we called doubt. I doubted the structural integrity 
of the bridge and its purpose. And my doubt drove me to behave in such a way that looked foolish to people who didn't share the same doubts that I shared. There were people that were on that same bridge that were just fine with the sharks and the bombs underneath the bridge. But I did not trust the integrity of the bridge. And so it caused me to behave in such a way that was ununderstandable to the people around me. And the more that they engaged with me, the more frustrated I became at them. They began to belittle my doubt. And every time they belittled my doubt, I felt like they were belittling me. And it began to hurt me, but I was the one that was on my hands and knees in a panic position because it felt like things were just coming in on me. This is a silly story about a seven or eight year old, but there are other times in my life where I've been in situations and circumstances and I felt the same feelings and I felt doubt creep in. And then when that doubt creeps in, man, I behave in such a way that is ununderstandable to people who don't share the same doubts as me. But where we miss it sometimes as believers is when we try to react to somebody's doubt without calling it what it is. It'd be like me on the bridge crawling on my hands and knees and my friends laughing at me because I looked foolish. I can't tell you how many times people are dealing with difficult situations that don't seem or perceived to be as difficult to me and how many times I just run right past their difficulty. And they are really trapped down in their doubt and I don't have the patience to sit there and walk with them. Can I tell you that that day on the bridge there was one person that had enough patience to deal with me. It wasn't my sister. It wasn't my little brothers. They were in a stroller so they didn't even know the hell that they were participating in. It wasn't my dad. No, it was my mom. There are people in our lives that come and help us when we are in the most heavy, burdensome times if we allow them. Tonight I want to talk to you as we deal in our sermon series, Honest with God, around the idea of dealing with doubt. I think that in the society that we live in and what's going on in our world, that doubt is a real thing that we have to talk about. I think that that real doubt, spiritual doubt, leads to some of the mental health issues that we're dealing with in the lives of Christians and believers today. Now, I think that there are some that are definitely in imbalance issues and, and, and they need medication, but then there are others that are simply a, a demonic oppression or a fear that we've allowed doubt to cause mistrust of the purpose and the character of the God that we believe in. Now that seems really heavy, but if you look at this psalm with me, you'll understand that when we begin to question God's character and God's purpose and, and God's intent or his, or, his, or his direct involvement in our life, that we begin to behave in such a way that is unrecognizable. 
We begin to kind of act a little bit more foolish. So look at this with me in Psalm 77. I know that was a heavy kind of lead in, but I think that when we're dealing with this topic tonight, you'll understand that it is a heavier topic that requires a little less humor and a little bit more uh, cordialness in the delivery. So I'm trying to trying to really stay kind of honed in here because I believe that there are folks in the room tonight that you've been dealing with some extreme doubts, some depression, some anxiety, and we need to get some breakthrough from those things. I believe that there's going to be a fog that is lifted or a mist that has been in your life and some circumstances that allowed you to walk through them kind of with a little bit of doubt, insecurity, or fear. And God wants to lift that mist tonight or remove that fog through the perspective of this psalm written by Asaph. Psalm 77 verse 1 says, I cried out to God with my voice, to God with my voice. He gave ear to me. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. My hand was stretched out in the night without ceasing. My soul refused to be comforted. I remembered God, and I was troubled. I complained, and my spirit was overwhelmed. Let's pray this evening. Father, I pray that tonight, Lord, that it would be, this word would just set deep into our souls God, that we would know that life does not have to be lived in our own strength or by our own power, but can be truly lived by your Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. This is, uh, I cried out to God with my voice, to God with my voice, and he gave ear to me. But then he says, my soul refused to be comforted. He re- it refused to be comforted. Have you, it says that he, all night he cried out. Has, has there ever been a time in your life when you're dealing with something that sometimes the darkness lasts longer than the night does? That in the night, it oftentimes is the hardest of times, but when the morning comes, the darkness still lingers. This is what Asaph is going through, whatever is happening in his life to his people and the community has got him so perturbed, so disturbed and, and, and stirred up that he, he cries out to God all night long. And his soul refuses. It actually goes against it. It's as if it pushes back, refuses to be comforted. This is what doubt really does in our lives. And let me tell you that we all deal with a little bit of doubt, don't we? We all do. If you're like, I never deal with doubt. I don't know. You put a life jacket on every time you get onto a boat, don't you? No, that's safety. I doubt it. Even Jesus' disciples, one of them dealt with a lot of doubt. He had to be shown a couple of things. If you ever prayed with God and like, God, I need to know your direction. Just, you know, if this is your will, make sure this happens. Has anybody ever done that? It's called laying out a fleece. We get it from Gideon because he says, Lord, if this is you, I'm going to put this fleece out in the morning. The grass around it will be dry and the, the fleece will be wet. And then it happens. He's like, okay, God, really, if this is you. <laughs> Has anybody ever been there before? Yeah, that's called doubt. And there's a story in Mark chapter 9 where this guy has a son that is dealing with demonic activity in his life that, that is causing mental illness and, and his son to harm himself and all of these things. And he goes to Jesus and he says, uh, and he cried out and he said with tears, uh, well, he, let me get to that. He, he ca- comes to Jesus and he says, 
Lord, heal my son. Jesus says, your son will be healed with faith. And the man says, it says, wipes away his tears and says, Lord, but I believe. But help me in my unbelief. There is a balance in our Christian life and our walk between belief and doubt. Between practice and theory. It's like, man, I really know that the word of God tells me that no weapon formed against me will prosper. I know, oh, I believe I'm going to declare it. But man, when that arrow hits me from the enemy, it feels like it's going to take me out. It's like, hey, I believe in my words, but sometimes in my practice or the theory, it just doesn't add up to what I believe and doubt can creep in. Can I just let you know that God is okay to handle our doubts? Like You don't have to keep them from the Lord. You don't have to, to suffer in your own mind, in your own journey by yourself with what you're feeling about your circumstance, your situation, about who God is. God is big enough and loves you enough to steward those doubts well. That's why he says, cast all your cares upon Jesus because he cares for you. It's not just something that we're supposed to like just cast the cares that we think Jesus really cares about. He says, no, cast them all on. Even the questions, even the concerns, even the things that don't add up in your mind, cast all of those on Jesus. He wants to take them for you. And that encourages me every time I hear that because there are some times where, where I just, man, I just get these thoughts in my head where I'm like, oh, I don't know how this adds up and, and I really don't know about this. And, and I'm like, God, you got to help me put these pieces together. Has anybody ever been there? Like, God, you got to connect these dots for me. He can do that in every situation in our life. So we have to understand that all of us have doubts. But my encouragement to you this evening would be don't doubt your God. Doubt your doubts. Because your God has been faithful. And your doubts have not done anything for you. If you look at your life span and you look at the times where you trusted your doubts and the times where you trusted your God, tell me which times worked out to your benefit better. The times where you trusted your doubts and doubted your God or the times where you trusted your God and doubted your doubts. And so I'd encourage you tonight to recalibrate your thinking, to doubt your doubts, to doubt your fears, and to trust your God. And we learned how to do that in Asaph's psalm through his own struggle. Look at this in verses 1 through 4. Again, it reads out, I cried out to God with my voice, to God with my voice. He gave ear to me in the day of my trouble. I sought the Lord. My hand was stretched out in the night without ceasing. My soul refused to be comforted. I remembered God and was troubled. Doesn't it feel like it's going to get good there? It's like, hey, I remembered God. You're like, yes. And I was still ticked. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. Look at this. Verse 4. You hold my eyelids open. I'm so troubled, I cannot speak. That is overwhelming. Whatever Asaph is going through has got him completely locked up. The night is there and he can't sleep. Whatever he's thinking about has forced his eyelids open. 
He's kind of got shortness of breath. It seems like he's having a little bit of an anxiety attack and he's processing through that. And we get an inside picture of what it looks like to have a panic or an anxiety attack right in the middle of the Bible. Now, why would God do that if he didn't anticipate us to walk through some things that would cause us a little bit of anxiousness? Now, I know the word of God says to be anxious about nothing. And in all things, with prayer and thanksgiving, make our requests known to God, and he'll give us a peace that surpasses all understanding to guard our hearts and our minds. And we all are like, yes, until the night comes and forces our eyelids open. We can recite that verse, but it doesn't really feel peaceful in that moment, does it? It says that he cried out to God, and he was still troubled. But look at what happens with Asaph is he doesn't just sit here in this moment and give up right there. Look, I tried to call out to you, God, and you abandoned me. No, he doesn't do that. It says that he, if, you, if you keep reading that, he leans in even further into his frustration before he comes out on the other side. Maybe in the midst of a panic or an anxiety attack or trouble that feels so overwhelming is a breakthrough to, to trust God more, to lean into Him more, to get to know Him different, to get to grit and a determination in our faith. But we stop because it's difficult. All right, so let's continue through his struggle. Verse 9 says, Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his tender mercies? Isn't it interesting that in these moments of intense doubt or panic or anxiety, how quickly we become, we, we make our relationship between us and God about us to God instead of about God to us. Look at this. Has he withheld his tender mercies from me. The language here suggests that Asaph is trying to, to, to come up with some kind of reason in his mind while he is stuck in this systematic uh, uh, series of anxious thoughts. And he's sitting there thinking, maybe it's because I have done something to God and so he has withdrawn his Holy Spirit from me. That's a real moment when we're dealing with doubt, isn't it? I'm telling you, when I'm on the bridge and the sharks and the bombs are beneath me, I'm thinking, what did I do to deserve this? But even when I'm in my most anxious moments or when I'm dealing with, with some attack or, or, or a panic in my life, in a dark moment, we can say, what have I done to cause this? God, why are you withdrawn from me? God, where are you in the midst of this struggle? I know your word says this, and I know that it promises peace, and I know that it has these things, but in the night, when the dark outruns the night, that's a hard concepts to put together, isn't it? And Asaph is right there. He's asking some incredibly tough questions. He's saying, look, I can't sleep. I got to have some questions. God, where are you? And many of us stop at the question without continuing through the process. See, but not Asaph, because Asaph is giving us an in-depth look at how to deal with our doubts. Look what he says in verse 10. He says, and I said in my anguish. This 
is my anguish. But I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. I will also meditate on all your work. I will talk of your deeds. Your way, O God, is in the sanctuary who is so great a God as our God. Look at the question transformation in the middle of this uh, process moment from Asaph. He goes from, God, why have you withheld your tender mercies from me. And all of a sudden he's like, yeah, I'm in the middle of my anguish, but I'm going to force my brain right now to remember something and to lock on to something that God did for me when I was in the middle of another anxious moment. I'm going to go back a little bit because it seems bleak right now. So I got to remember who God is because my doubt is telling me that God won't get me through. And doubt is, is not trusting the character or the purpose of what our focus is on. So if I am in doubt and I got, I'm, in a, I'm in a bad situation and I'm going to, God, where are your tender mercies? I'm going to, man, I got to go back and remember where God's tender mercies are. I got to go back. He says, Lord, your, your peace and, and your presence and, and your word and your will are your sanctuary. He says, Asaph is saying, all of this anguish is, 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 is around me, but man, there is a safety in the presence and the sanctuary of God. There is a safety in the presence of God. He continues, who is so great like our God? You are the God who does wonders. You have declared your strength among the peoples. You have, with your arm, redeemed your people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. And it's the Selah, he takes a breath. The water saw you, O God. The water saw you. They were afraid. The depths also trembled. Look at this. Asaph is saying, I am looking at the depths right now and they seem very intimidating. But if I look back and remember at what you did, God, I'll remember that the depths tremble at who you are. So if I'm looking at the depths and I'm trembling at who they are, I need to remind myself that they tremble at who you are. And when you look at me, you look at me as a son or a daughter, and it doesn't cause me to tremble because there's safety in your sanctuary. So when the depths tremble, I don't have to tremble because I'm safe and secure in your presence. So even in our most anxious and anguished and hard and doubtful times, there is a point where we have to process all the way through the questions and pivot our understanding to really take the right way to deal with doubt because we're all going to deal with it. We're all going to have dark moments. How do I know that? Because the enemy is real. The enemy is real. And he goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. Look, the enemy's not playing games with you and me. So it means that if I'm going through a time of extreme attack and the attack is on my mind, I have to have the right sense in my spirit to recalibrate myself to understand that the attack from the enemy is on my mind, but the living God is alive in my spirit. So I got to get my spirit stirred up so that my mind was silenced down. How do you do that in the middle of it? Look at what Asaph did. 
He said, look, I'm awake all night, and this is very frustrating, and it doesn't feel like God is there, but look at what I'm going to do. I'm going to just tell myself some stories about who God is. I'm going to remind myself about a testimony that I've walked in. I'm going to remind myself about some healing that I once had. I'm going to remind myself about who God is, what God does, so that when I'm looking in the pit, I'll see it trembling at the presence of God. We have to remember differently in those moments of anguish and panic. That's hard to do, isn't it? When you're in the middle of it. It's only hard to do if you stop in the middle of it. There's always another question. There's always a different option, right? There's always something else. God, where are you? Or maybe the question is, God, where can I find you now? So let me tell you some quick things are the right way to deal with doubt because we're going to have these moments in our life where doubt comes in. And so here's the right way to deal with doubt because sometimes when doubt creeps in, our our anxiety or panic or even depression, we can kind of sweep it away and say something like, no, 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 I'm too strong to, to have that. And we're not honest with ourselves about really what we're going through. And so the first thing that we have to do is, one, we have to be honest with God, but two, we have to be honest with ourselves. We have to just define, when you're you're talking about leadership and you're you're problem-solving things, the first thing that you have to do is define reality. And this is what we have to do when we're dealing with doubt, is we have to just get honest with it. Like, hey, I'm dealing with this right now, and I'm not certain if if God's going to do this. And sometimes... When you have those moments and you just say it out loud, you're like, whoa, 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 where did that come from? Have you ever been there before? It's like when you're, you know, when you're little, I don't know, when you're in junior high and you have a crush on a girl or, or uh, if you're a girl, you have a crush on a boy and you walk up to, maybe I just did this and I'm like, hey, I like you. And then you say it out loud, you're like, I don't, I don't like you like that. I'm sorry. Oh, this is embarrassing. Am I the only one that's done that before where you're like, hey, I think I like, I don't like you. Now that I've said it, no. I don't even like me right now. So, so this is good. This is good self-process. There's just something about honesty that helps you kind of get your mind wrapped around it again. So I have to say, man, I'm really dealing with something right now. Or I have to tell my wife, I said, Deborah, Deborah, I, there's, the, the enemy's attacking. He's really got my mind right now, and I just, it's just, I can't get out of this cycle. And we'll begin to pray, and we'll begin to talk it out loud. This is what the enemy wants to do. Why is honesty with God and yourself so important? Is because the enemy deals in isolation. If he can get you to isolate yourself and then buy into the lie of secrecy, then he can get you trapped into a, a pattern of thinking that distracts you from the voice of God, right? So then we're like, Man, I'm just, this, this is just what I'm thinking. This is what I'm thinking. This is just what I'm thinking. This is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm feeling. This is who I am. This is who I am. This is who I am. You see that pattern of thinking? It's just this loop cycle that the enemy keeps us in with isolation and secrecy. So when we're honest with God and we're honest to ourselves and we say, self, you're dealing with something. You're dealing with something right now. Just, just understand that you're dealing with this right now. There is a freedom that comes to bringing something into light. And I'll tell you something else that could be hard is tell somebody a trust. We tell this to people all the time when we're, when we're 
pastoral counseling or even marriage counseling will say, the enemy can't use what's in the light because the enemy can't use the light against you. The enemy can only use what's in the dark. So if you keep something hidden in the secret place, not the God's secret place, but the secret place of isolation, the enemy can continue to use it against us. Honesty with God, honesty with ourselves, bring that to the light so that we can begin to have it used for our healing instead of for our pain. So this is why we have to get honest. Asaph says, God, I cried out for you and my soul was not comforted. Who would ever want to say that to God? Hey, I said your name and it didn't help. Where are you right now? I'm like, okay, wait, I feel a little bit better. And God's like, okay, did you get that tantrum out of the way? I'm like, yeah, I did. No, no, I got some more in me, God, now that we're here. Why'd you give me this nose? You know, he's like, to keep you humble. Why are you laughing so hard at that one? That hurts. Dang. That's brutal. Y'all are brutal tonight. Sometimes when we just get it out, oh, it's like a weight has been lifted off. So let me tell you, if you're stuck in, the, in a panic cycle or, or some anxiety or some depression, there are some that are, that are definitely need, need medication, but there are some that just need the breath of God. Actually, all of them need the breath of God. So let's get honest with it. Let's get honest with God and honest with ourselves. The second thing that Asaph does is he builds a healthy perspective of a God-honoring life. He says, God, look at what you've done for your people. Look at where your presence is in the sanctuary. See, Asaph is saying, I'm going to build a healthy perspective. This is an unhealthy perspective that I have right now. So I'm going to recalibrate and I'm going to build a healthy perspective around what godly living really looks like. God, you, oh, I remember when you did that, Lord. I remember when this happened in my life. I remember when the checkbook had no checks in it, and I opened it up, and I found a $20 bill. I remember, God, when you came through. God, I remember when I was sick, and you healed me. I remember when my marriage was broke, and you restored it. God, I remember when I was praying for my kid to get saved, and they got saved. I remember, God, I remember the safety and the security of your presence. Lord, I remember. Oh, you see how different that is. When first you get honest and you just, ah! Then you're like, wait, wait, I remember God. Oh, I remember. Maybe as I'm saying this tonight, it's going to kind of jolt your mind to remember when God did something. And you're like, maybe you haven't just spent time remembering right now. Some of the greatest stories we tell are the remember when stories. I love when Facebook prompts me of a memory that came up hey, this time seven years ago. I got a picture today of, of Deborah and Lucy seven years ago. Lucy was two years old seven years ago. And I see this little two-year-old smile. Oh, I remember taking this picture. I remember the joy and the happiness. And I begin to smile just remembering this, this memory. So some of us got to go back and get a healthy perspective of what this thing really looks like. And we do that by remembering. This is why the Bible is so clear to us when it says, we overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb, 
So first there's Jesus and the word of our testimony. We gotta get our testimony out there. We gotta get those times where God came through for us. If you don't have, you're like, I don't have anything. Man, just remember the time you got saved. Remember the time you trusted Jesus for your eternity. Remember the emotions that you felt. Remember the time. Remember the the environment that you were in. Remember the prayer that you prayed. Just remember something good about God. You're like, I have nothing good about God. Well, just remember the song we're going to sing tonight at the end. And remember what God speaks to you as we're singing. And remember how the Holy Spirit broke those chains of of panic and doubt tonight. Remember that then. But we got to build a healthy perspective of who God is and what a God-honoring life looks like. And then Asaph says this later on in his, in his uh, psalm. He gets all the way to, I can't even find it right now. But he begins to turn his heart back to God. See, at the beginning, he turned his heart away from God because he was so frustrated with the feelings that he was feeling. But as he began to remind himself about who God is and God's character, his doubts began to get a little smaller because his faith was stirred up that God really is who he says he is. He is going to do what he says he's going to do because he's done it historically and he's done it now and he's going to do it in the future. This is why Hebrews tells us he's the same yesterday, he's the same today, and he's the same tomorrow. That God is always going to be consistent in our life. So when our doubts are, are bigger than our faith, then it's going to feel like real panic sets in. So when we begin to remember, it's just a stirring our faith up so our doubt is lessened and our faith is rising. It's like Pastor Scotty said last week, you starve those things that you want to die and you feed the thing that you want to live. So he begins to turn his heart back to God. So what happens when you and I build this healthy perspective of a God-honoring life, then we turn our hearts back to Jesus. Did you know that there is this thing that the American Heart Association put out called the broken heart syndrome? It has all of the characteristics of a heart attack, but it happens in highly emotional moments where your left ventricle uh, or your right ventricle, I I read it, but I can't remember all of it, uh, it expands larger than it is. Your heart begins to beat faster, and then then you get kind of flutters, and and it feels like, uh, it it just feels like there's pain in your chest. It's called broken heart syndrome. It it happens in, in highly emotional situations. What happens when we're dealing with our doubts or we're dealing with fear or we're dealing with insecurity or we're dealing with whatever is causing the panic in our life? There is something that the enemy tries to bring in called broken heart syndrome into our spirit where it makes us think and feel that God has let us down. And so we begin to act in our spirit differently than how our spirit has been intended. If we give attention to what our feelings are in those moments instead of who God is, and we don't turn our heart really to Jesus, then that will begin to take root and become who we are. This is when we become cynical. I don't want our doubts to lead to cynicism. I don't want our doubts to make us hope for the good old days again when God tells us that the best days are still in front of us. So I, want, I, I believe that we really have to turn our hearts to Jesus. This is what happens with Asaph is he goes from a very 
introspective why me moment to a very community-driven outward focus moment. Isn't it true that when you think about the times where you feel anxiety or, or, or panic or doubt, that it, it always makes you point inward to yourself? This is what the enemy's tactic has been since the beginning of time, is to rob our worship from God. See, the enemy doesn't need us to worship him. In fact, he knows it's much easier for us to worship ourselves. And he'll use whatever tactic necessary, even inward-driven anxiety, to get God off the throne and to put ourselves on it. When we turn our hearts back to Jesus, what we're saying is, I feel this way right now, but I know who God is eternally. And so I'm going to keep my focus on Jesus. And outward focus really helps us deal with doubts and panics and and mental uh, uh, attacks in a real spiritual way. It doesn't mean that the attacks are lessened. But it does mean that our responses are outward focused, are outward driven and focused on Jesus. And the fourth one is develop a new kind of faith. There was something about Asaph that made him determined to grit this sucker out. He had to grit it out because he remembered how good God was and and how faithful God had been. And he knew that if if God hadn't given up on Israel up to this point, and if God hadn't given up on him up to this point, then why in the world would in one moment, in one night, he give up on God? If God has been so faithful to do everything that he's done in your life, and he's been so faithful to send his son to die on a cross for your sins, so faithful to make it where you and I can have eternity in heaven with him, Why in this moment will we choose to give up? There's this thing that I I like to call spiritual grit that I believe is needed and required in the life of a believer today. I think that the believers, uh, because we've gotten so far away from what what our understanding of a biblical worldview is, that, that we let our circumstances scream louder than the character of God. And and our circumstances begin to drive us to make spiritual decisions. Oh, if God was really good, this wouldn't have happened. Or if God really loved me, maybe this wouldn't have happened this way. Or if God loved me, he he would rescue me from this situation. Doubt is eliminated fully in our life, or at least spiritually in our life, whenever we trust the character of God is stronger than the circumstances in our life. And so we have to develop a new kind of faith that says, God, I'm going to anchor down to your character. I'm going I'm to get some I believe statements. This is why we want to close and sing this song where it says, this I know we will see the enemy run. We're going to see the enemy run. Why? Because we are victorious in Jesus. We're going to see the enemy run because there is no weapon that is formed against us that will prosper. And why is that? Because he has made and fashioned the very form, that the very thing that has formed the weapon. God has ultimate sovereignty and ultimate control. 
And he has your best interest in his mind. So in the moment of your doubts, in the, in the times where it's the darkest, you have to latch on and anchor to who God is, what his character is, and what his promises are in your life. It doesn't mean that the pain won't be less, but it means that his promises will scream louder. So I'm going to ask if you'll just stand with us tonight. We already talked about the enemy surrounding us and, and we needed some breakthrough in those areas. Talked about a mental fog or, or a mist that's been in our life. I believe that breakthrough is on the other side of this praise right now. I believe that a move of God is happening in your life. A release of His Spirit is coming at the other side of this worship moment. So as Pastor Tim leads us out, let's just lift our hands to God and declare this tonight. This we see the enemy run this we know we will see the victory come we hold on to every promise you ever made jesus you are unfailing this we know this we know we will see the Jesus, that you are unfailing, that you are so faithful, God, that even in our darkest moments, even when it feels like the, the, the dark has outlasted the night, Jesus, that we can call out to you and you are faithful to answer us. God, I pray for the folks in this room tonight that might be struggling with doubt. God, the circumstances in their life have been so, so big and so insurmountable that it is, man, it just feels like it's too difficult. God, I pray that you would bring your peace into their life right now, that you would touch them by the powerful name of Jesus. God, that we would not doubt our God, but we would doubt our doubts and that our faith would be stirred in who you are. That we would turn our hearts to trust you again, Jesus. And that you would give us a new kind of faith. A faith, Father, that would see the mountain in front of us be removed. And Father, I pray for anybody in the room today that's been dealing with panic attacks, anxiety, depression, Lord. God, that you would breathe life right now in the name of Jesus. Father, they just had a, a mental fog following them around a cloud of darkness lord i pray that you would bring a breath of the spirit right now across this room father that you would bring a fresh awakening god a fresh wind and a new fire god lord that you would break the chains that bind that you would that you would break depression right now in the name of jesus god that you would lift anxiety right now in the name of jesus 
Somebody in here has been dealing with shoulder pain because you've been holding on to some anxious thoughts. And, and right now in the name of Jesus, you're being healed of that shoulder pain because you're being healed of that anxiety. God, we thank you that you told us that you bring life and life everlasting. So, Father, speak that into our souls and into our spirits, Lord. We thank you that you're faithful. God, bless us and keep us. Cause your face to shine upon us. God, your countenance be on us. Give us peace. And, Lord, teach us to trust your character over our circumstances. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. Can we just give God one more praise tonight before we go? Look, I'm not going to get too offended that you laughed at my nose that bad. But we'll see you next week. We love you guys so much. Be blessed as you go this evening. We trust you. We trust you.